This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss anticipated federal health care reform under the incoming Republican-led 115th Congress. With me to discuss the topic is Chris Jennings, former Deputy Assistant for Health Policy to President Obama, for eight years White House Senior Health Care Advisor to President Clinton, and currently President of Jennings Policy Strategies. Chris, welcome to the program. It's my pleasure, David. Thank you for having me. On background, with a unified White House and Congress, Republican leaders appear intent on repealing the Affordable Care Act. Whether or when Republican leaders produce ACA replacement legislation is far less certain, particularly since they have not over the past six years. Should Republicans simply repeal the ACA, many experts agree the state insurance marketplaces would collapse before a likely 2018 or 19 implementation date causing, of course, the 22 million individuals covered by the ACA to lose their insurance, along with those benefiting from expanded Medicaid coverage. Republicans are also discussing major Medicare reform. That largely means redefining Medicare from a defined benefit to a defined contribution program under what's termed premium support, as well as converting Medicaid to block grants or per capita caps. What health care reform policies will Republicans attempt to forward beginning next month? and the Congressional Democrats' response are, again, the topics of my conversation with Chris Jennings. So with that as background, Chris, let's get right into this. Experts believe repeal or replace with an effective date of 2018 or 19 de facto means simultaneous repeal and replace. In fact, one policy person said it would be a fantasy, quote-unquote, to believe you can repeal without a de facto having a replace consequence. Um, is there, in your mind, a conceivable way to pass a delayed repeal without promptly causing the state marketplaces to become unstable and collapse? Well, David, I, I honestly can't say that one can do everything the repeal law would do to the markets in terms of elimination of the tax credit subsidies, uh, the enhanced Medicaid match dollars, the federal matching dollars, and the elimination of the uh, individual requirement to purchase health care, the mandate, without substantially undermining uh, the insurance marketplaces. Uh, and I mentioned the Medicaid matching rate because, of course, um, the the more people you have in Medicaid, the more stable the exchange has been. So these are all, as you know, uh, related uh, policies that have a major impact on how the insurers and the market will respond to this dynamic. Now you ask, is there any conceivable way to uh, keep uh, have a, uh, a, a a repeal policy and a functioning marketplace? I think probably not. I think what experts will say is since they immediately repeal the, the mandate and they retain the pre-existing, existing, uh, pre-existing exclusion protections, you would see a substantial increase in premiums 
uh, plans either pricing their products up or deciding to leave. And I think you could you can only describe it is at best as utter chaos. Um, so no, I don't think you can do a repeal policy vote and not have a major impact on the marketplace. I will say, and parenthetically, that the insurers will be asked to stay on by the Republicans, and they will get a, a set of either incentives or threats um, to try to encourage them to, to stay or discourage them to, to leave. But I think the fundamentals are just too overwhelming here. Okay, so I, I, we're probably in agreement. So the follow-up would be, if congressional Republicans cannot find a legitimate way to effectively delay repeal, um, will they just go ahead anyway? Uh, and it appears at the moment that the Senate would start uh, and pass budget reconciliation, and then this process would play out through uh, more likely February or March. So again, do they just go ahead anyway? Well, I think I think their plan is to go ahead anyway. Uh, their view is that they will try to band-aid up uh, the marketplace and then rely on the possibility that they can convince Democrats to work with them on a reconciliation or outside of reconciliation legislative vehicle to develop a subsequent replacement package. But let's be real. Um, if you repeal the underlying uh, tax credit subsidies and Medicaid matching and individual requirement, you have taken uh, probably over a trillion dollars out of the marketplace and left it almost impossible to conceive, well, I would say impossible to conceive, that you can have a affordable, meaning, meaningful benefit provided to Americans. So I think... Uh, you know, we have to understand uh, that if you do have a repeal without a replace, the likelihood of a viable replace um, policy that works for the vast majority of Americans is impossible to conceive. You know, per your mention of the trillion dollars, one of the um, oddities here is that the Republicans argue that uh, Medicare is unsustainable, and uh, part of this has to do with the Affordable Care Act, but since uh, the Affordable Care Act reduced uh, Medicare reimbursements by the budget window period of $700 billion, actually, if you repeal the ACA, actually you drive up, uh, likely to drive up um, uh, Medicare spending, and the trust fund becomes uh, insolvent sooner uh, than later. So. Let's let's go on to replace. Um, you mentioned democratic cooperation. So when, if ever, re the conversation of replacement comes, um, and there's a genuine effort to pass something to replace, um, you s suggested the answer. And in fact, some people argue maybe we just get the ACA too. In all, after all this, but what provisions do the Democrats need to see in a replacement bill? Well, I mean, I, I honestly uh, can't see a, a replacement bill work without uh, uh, a policy done in conjunction with the repeal. After the repeal, remember, this is very important to understand. 
they're not just taking away the tax credit subsidies and the federal support to the states to expand coverage. They're eliminating all the revenue um, raisers that were part of the Affordable Care Act. And you, you take those off the table, uh, it means that you are over a trillion dollars in the hole. And it, in order to come anywhere close to getting back to the dollars necessary to make health care affordable for Americans, you'll have to cut Medicare or Medicaid severely. And, of course, that's a double cut to health care providers, hospitals and physicians alike, because you and I both could not envision, I, I would wager to suggest, the Republicans raising taxes or raising revenue for the, uh, the next version of the replace policy. So the only place they have to go is cutting programs. So this is why I, I just honestly envision an extraordinarily difficult, if not impossible, mission to, after you repeal a policy and leave such uh, uh, bad policy on the table and such chaos in the marketplace, that you ask Republicans or you ask Democrats to engage with you on fixing something that didn't need to be imposed in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let's let's go to this underlying issue or question. Um, so, as as Chris, you are well aware, over the past six years, Republican criticism of the ACA has been relentless. So, most recently, Speaker Ryan said Obamacare was "quote unquote" really hurting families. Mitch McConnell recently termed the ACA "quote unquote." a monstrosity. As I noted, the law now covers 22, Ameri 22 million Americans. There are 10 Republican governors who use the ACA to expand Medicaid in their states. A recent Kaiser poll found that only one in four Americans want the law completely repealed, and only a slightly majority of Republicans now at 52 percent, and that's down from 69 percent a month ago. Um, I mentioned, among other things, the law actually extends the solvency of Medicare since it included the $700 billion in pay-fors for the subsidies via reimbursement cuts. And I'll add Republican policies to expand health care coverage, high-risk pools, selling policies across state lines, expanding HA health savings accounts, and allowing states more flexibility to spend federal Medicaid dollars, among others, really haven't proven to be successful policies. So all that's to say, Chris, underlying all this, beyond all the hyperbole of crushing government regulation and government coercion, in your view, what's really underneath or what's the legitimate substantive argument that explains Republican opposition to the ACA? I have to say over the last six years, I've looked for a good answer on this, and for me, it's just proven completely elusive. Well, of course, as you know, the... Affordable Care Act was drafted uh, on the model of Romney Care, right? Which was, of course, uh, a uh, private insurer-based um, policy that included individual requirement exchanges and subsidies to make it work. It is almost a virtual replica, uh, and so if you're asking me to explain why uh, the Republican Party has shifted from supporting policies like that to one that they're absolutely opposed to mm -hmm. um, when they have no other alternative 
policy to substitute for it, I, 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 I'm at a quandary as well. Um, I, 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 I would say that's why I think you're, you hear uh, Republicans like the chairman of the Senate Health Committee, Senator Alexander, yeah. Congress, and Senator Collins from Maine, saying that we really should work to uh, replace as we repeal. Um, and they, they, they're saying that because it's very, very hard to ask those members of Congress to buy a pig and a poke to basically say, uh, trust us, we'll come up with an alternative, but if we, if we fail to do so, 22 or probably more million Americans will be left holding the bag. And, and, and so I believe that the next six, seven, eight weeks really need to be dedicated to defining the consequences of, of repeal without a concurrent replace. And the hope is that cooler minds will prevail mm-hmm. and that that we can get to a point where there can be constructive engagement on a bipartisan level. Let's be clear. The Affordable Care Act will almost inevitably be repealed in large parts or in significant parts, uh, but uh, it, it should be done in conjunction with a thoughtful, rational, uh, yes, market-based oriented uh, uh, replacement and uh, and failure to do so only does so at the detriment to the detriment of 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 patients and working families and states and the providers who care for these populations and our job uh, collectively uh, from all those stakeholders' perspective is is to define that because I think really deep down many members of Congress on both sides of the aisle actually get this. Yes, in fact, Lamar Alexander's comment uh, on the 17th was this could take several years. Um, So you're starting to hear some of that. Let's go, you mentioned, or part of all this, of course, is Medicaid. Uh, President-elect Trump has named uh, Seema Verma to run CMS. She's moreover known for winning federal approval of Mike Pence's Indiana Medicaid waiver. Uh, even if the ACA is not uh, repealed or is repealed leaving somehow Medicaid expansion untouched, the question is, will the Republicans move to uh, reform the Medicaid program? Although, per your comment about Collins and Alexander, today's news is House Republicans are admitting uh, they will not use the Medicaid task force in the ENC committee formed a year ago or the report coming out of the task force as a blueprint for reforming Medicaid, that reinforces uh, the point you just made. So I'm assuming you find that encouraging, or is Seema Verma's name really their commitment to move to a serious attempt at block-grading Medicaid? Well, as you know, the... the the truth is, we don't know. Uh, but but I, I, I would say that um, probably the most vulnerable program in throughout uh, the domestic policy scene post this last election is the Medicaid program. 
both in terms of a complete uh, stop on the expansion of Medicaid expansions, uh, moving to a rollback of those expansions, moving moving to a capped uh, reform of the Medicaid program that that goes beyond even the expansions to limiting resources to states uh, who are covering a much lower income population mm-hmm. pre-expansion. Uh, this is um, uh, almost uh, virtually impossible to conceive in terms of a viable policy, but yet it is viewed by many Republicans as the only political place to go in order to achieve the savings they need to make their budget tables not look any worse than they already do. And so uh, if I, and, and interestingly, and I think this is very important and worth noting, Republican governors who have expanded Medicaid are extremely concerned. Um, you, you look at, uh, for example, Governor Doug Ducey from Arizona, uh, who acknowledges the, the shortcomings of the Affordable Care Act. And he says that if the federal funds dry up, it would endanger coverage for 400,000 individuals. Um, and he says that's not where we are. Um, and so the, the, the point being is there's real concern about the disruption of these 10 governors, 10 Republican states, 10 red states, that are, are really going to uh, shake up, in my mind, uh, some of the calculations about what they're going to be doing. And, and, and if it doesn't, then we're talking about a very substantial, long-term, devastating impact on the program that serves some of the most vulnerable of our populations, including seniors, people with disabilities, and children. And so this, um, I mean, the good news for folks like you, David, is there's going to be lots of news that flows from all these debates and discussions. But I hope that we get back to how this is going to impact people, because I, I am extraordinarily concerned that most members of Congress have no idea what they're about to do uh, relative to that impact. Right. Medicaid is 70 million. Nine of the 50 plus million in Medicare are disabled. Um, So, right, this is a very large, vulnerable population, most in need of adequate health care, to say the least. Um, as As a generic question, although you, you answered it in some, and your answer was your um, um, flummox, to say the least. What, most broadly, what areas of opportunities, and again, it's early, certainly, but what areas of opportunity are there for the Democrats uh, in either holding ground or trying to make um, improvements that they think they can get uh, Republicans uh, to bite? Um, you know, we didn't touch upon Medicare Advantage, the risk corridor issue is still unresolved, although the Republicans seem dogged in uh, trying to uh, see the administration doesn't pay the $2, million, two billion on that. Um, but are there any areas that come to mind this early uh, relative to the Democrats' uh, offering? Well, I mean, I think the first thing that, I mean, what, somewhat the irony perhaps, is that um, if the stakeholders uh, and the governors 
and the Democratic opponents of this idea just to repeal the law uh, step up over the next six to eight weeks to effectively define what the consequences of such an action would be. And, and the industry, right? Yes. Yeah, the stakeholders, the hospitals, the physicians, and others, uh, and, and, and the insurers. Um, then I think you can get to a point where Republicans, they only need to lose four members in the Senate, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and really three, but most people think politically four. Uh, that uh, that can turn this into a, a discussion about and a negotiation over repeal and replace. And, and, and perhaps most ironically, that would actually most benefit the Republican Party because uh, then there would be bipartisan buy-in on whatever came out of that process and they wouldn't be vulnerable to the critique of the overwhelmingly negative disruption that their policy to repeal without replace would impose. Mm -hmm. So, my, you know, truthfully, my view is, and with all sincerity, is the best thing Democrats can do is to be effective with convincing enough Republicans to, to negotiate that out. After that... I have to say, it's very hard to contemplate a policy that that's workable, um, and and so now's the time. This is not the time for people to be drinking their eggnog and bourbon, <laughs> but this is the time for people to define what this means. And uh, and and you know. Uh, There'll be time for celebration if we get Democrats and Republicans to work together on what replace means, but it needs to be done together and not as an afterthought. Yes, thank you. So the next two months, uh, see if the Republicans, or as you say, at least three or four of them choose not to, in a sense, drive over the cliff with this. Um, well, uh, Chris, we're at our, our time boundary. Uh, I did want to get a question or several other questions in. Chips coming up, of course, and PDUFA, so drug issues. But we'll leave that for another time. So with that, Chris, I'll say thank you very much. I appreciate your insights. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much, David. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.